This episode of She Explorers is brought to you by Deuter. They've been making technical hiking, backpacking, snow sport, bike, and travel packs, German-engineered since 1898 for comfort, fit, and ventilation. I've seen them on the trails as far from home as Patagonia and as close as New Hampshire. And speaking of German, stay tuned for later in the episode when a member from the Deuter team teaches me a few phrases. Stay equipped for a life of adventure with a durable, comfortably crafted Deuter pack. Find your perfect fit at deuter.com. That's D-E-U-T-E-R.com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. Hi, Gail. This is Cheryl Strayed. Yes, that's Cheryl Strayed saying hi. Hers isn't a voice I thought I'd have on this show, and I'm really happy about it. It's all thanks to my friend. So, Gail, thank you so much for having me on your podcast and letting Anna talk to me at the Mountain Film Fest in Telluride, Colorado. Anna Bronis is why Cheryl is on She Explores. She's an artist and a writer, and when she knew her path was going to cross Cheryl's at Telluride, she asked me if it'd be okay if she reached out. Anna's working on a series called The Women's Wisdom Project. She knew Cheryl would be a great fit, but she wanted to take it a step further. Here's Anna describing the project. So at the beginning of this year, I decided to do this um, art project. I wanted to profile inspiring and insightful women. So the idea was to do paper cut illustrations of a portrait of a woman. But within that portrait, there would be a quote from that woman. I've got to interrupt Anna here. If you haven't seen one of her paper cuts or you don't know what a paper cut is, it's like a drawing cut from one piece of paper that you can pick up with your hand. Anna's are made of black paper, and they're pretty intricate. Each portrait shows the likeness of the woman, set on a web of background and words. Some women include Georgia O'Keeffe, Frida Kahlo, Clara Barton. She also includes modern-day changemakers like Myrna Valerio, who you might remember from episode 73. The quote Anna selected from Myrna is, I love my body the most when I'm running. I feel really strong and powerful, and in that, I feel beautiful. Anna is a third of a way through a hundred of these gorgeous paper cuts. I think each one gets better and better. But as I started working on it, it just kind of evolved. And then I sort of wanted to pair some of those. Like if they were more modern day women, I wanted to pair those with interviews as well. So that it wasn't just, just a snippet of information. Because I kept thinking about quotes being these, there's these like short moments, they're short pieces of advice, and they are always out of context, really. And so I just kind of wanted like to dig a little bit deeper. So I thought, well, I'll still do historical figures. But when I, um, I wanted, wanted to try to profile like some women that I knew, um, that maybe weren't, you know, quote, unquote, famous, but just were inspiring to me. Um, And I really always kept coming back to the idea that we all have wisdom to give each other. And so often we seek out advice or wisdom from some other figure that's kind of influential. And I really wanted to interview Cheryl because one, she's just amazing. (laughs) But two, I think that she is that figure for a lot of people. Cheryl's definitely that figure for me. I devoured her best-selling book, Wild, about her experience hiking on the PCT in the wake of her mother's death. But there's another book of Cheryl's that I return to again and again when I'm looking for guidance. That book is called Tiny Beautiful Things, And it's a selection from an advice column she did 
called Dear Sugar. In it, she practices radical empathy, sharing experiences from her own life in order to help guide those that write in. One line in particular I've come back to, quote, acceptance is a small, quiet room. In any case, Cheryl provides advice, but in an untraditional way. Cheryl shares wisdom, but it's not top-down wisdom. It's more horizontal. It's person to person. And Anna's art project is about drawing wisdom for women in a similar way. We met in person a few years ago at um, Mountain Film Festival in Telluride. Um, it's a festival that I have gone to and done work at and had films at and been going for a long time. And um, she she came and did the keynote kind of speech at the symposium a few years back. And then she had books at kind of the event where all of the writers that are at the festival get to have tables with their books. And so as a young writer, I introduced myself and um, she even ended up buying one of my books. Of course, I was thrilled. And we just kind of talked and then I actually moderated a Q&A with her and another writer. Um, so we kind of had a personal connection and we've always sort of said hi to each other every year we've been at the festival. So when I was working on this Women's Wisdom Project, I thought, well, I'll just reach out on the off chance that she even has time <laughs> to sit down. Um, and fortunately, she was so gracious with her time. Anna talked with Cheryl at Mountain Film Festival. There were a couple of technical issues in recording, so I hope you'll bear with me any audio glitches and the fact that I fill in the gaps a bit. I talked with Anna a month or so after her interview to do that too. Technical difficulties are a very real part of podcasting. There's something I love about editing, though, smoothing out the rough spots and highlighting the bright ones. One thing I want to stress as you listen, think about this episode as an exchange of wisdom and think about what you could share in your next conversation. Here's Cheryl questioning much of what I just said. It's always strange for me to hear that I'm like some sort of font of wisdom. And and that's always been the, the funny and uneasy position um, that I've been in, not just as an advice giver as Dear Sugar, but even my other books, Wild and, and even my first novel, Torch. Obviously, most people know me for Wild, but before I wrote Wild and I published my first novel, and my books have always been read in this way that people take from them advice. And I think what it is is that there's, you know, so much of what I've been interested in as a writer is our emotional lives, our relationships, the ways that we love and lose and suffer and recover and grapple with how to be in the world. And so what ends up happening is because I have spent so many years really examining that and thinking about that and writing about that, I, I end up seeming like this this figure, <laughs> this wise woman. And and I have to say, I you know, it makes me laugh because because I've got so much to learn. And I think maybe part of the thing I feel grateful about when I when it comes to wisdom, if 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 I'll if I'll say, okay, I'm gonna dispense some of my wisdom, it does come from that place of having a lot to learn. It comes from that place of being somebody who has had to do a lot of living and a lot of experiencing and a lot of loving and losing and making a mistake and making amends and trying to figure out the better way. I've always been awake to the better way. And I think that that's what wisdom is, is, is being able to say, I want to try to be the best version of myself that I can be. And how do I do that? And being really conscious 
about it. To me, the wisest people are not the people who have always done everything right, but the, the people who are aware of what they've done. And they're aware of the relationships they've had. And they're looking back to the past mistakes they made or the past victories they had and, and really um, reflecting on it and bringing it into their present life. I have never liked a guru. I have always, in fact, been repulsed by that. I'm an accidental self-help writer. <laughs> I did not, I never set out to be like, okay, gather around people, listen to, to me. I can tell you how to live. That, that really is not me. One of the interesting things that she said in your conversation was that she doesn't really believe in like the idea of a guru. Yeah. Well, and I think that that, like, as I've been working on this project, I mean, I just, I just end up thinking about advice and like what you learned from other people. And I'm just so constantly reminded. And she talked about that a lot in our interview is just like, we all have something to offer each other and we all have questions to ask and no one has the right answer to anything. Um, and this, and the, you know, she definitely talks, talked in that interview, we talked about, um, just how she feels that when somebody kind of puts themselves in that position, it feels a bit fraudulent because it's not a two-way street. And it's sort of the idea that wisdom is not not thinking that you've done everything right, so you're so wise because you've done so well. It's more like being aware of your actions and, you know, being aware of the lessons that you've learned and also knowing that there's a lot of lessons to learn moving forward. Um, and I think she, you know, she really emulates that. The, the way Tiny Beautiful Things came to be is I wrote this column called Dear Sugar that was on this website called The Rumpus. And it was very much what you're describing, a, a horizontal relationship between me and somebody who wrote to me who said, well, what do you think of this? And it very much was like a long walk with a friend. And the friend is like, listen, I'm, I, I'm in trouble right now. I, I, have, I need advice. And you listen and you talk and you have this exchange. And that's what I did in Dear Sugar. It was not ever me coming from above saying, I'm the wise one and, and, you, and you have to sit at my feet and listen. I, I really think that that's um, that model, that old fashioned model about advice, you know, not just advice, but the, the reason I use that word guru, I think a lot of people think of their own path to spiritual enlightenment being via somebody who is in this exalted position. And I find that almost always abusive and fraudulent in the end, because they're, you know, really anyone who's telling you anything other than you already know the answers, you already have that wisdom within you. If they're saying, I'm the wise one, listen to me, there's always something inherently fraudulent about that. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't meet wise people sometimes who can, we can learn from, who we can say, I admire you so much because I was lost and you're found right now. How did you get found? Tell me. Like, I think that that's a totally valid exchange. But if that exchange can't be flipped the other way the next time you meet, that's what I'm talking about when I say fraudulent, where it's always, you know, somebody in the guru position, somebody in the, in the seeker position. I'm a seeker, and uh, I always will be. Gosh, I love that. I think a lot of us listening are seekers, too. And speaking of that... With Anna's project, she hopes people move beyond simply appreciating one-off quotes and dive deeper to learn more about a person. Here's Anna. I think in this moment where 
we're digitally connected and we're quote unquote busy all the time, right? We have all these things going on, all these activities, all these distractions. I think it those things pull us away from sort of in-person connections or conversations. And I feel that with this idea of wisdom, there are things that we offer each other and that we get from each other. And you don't have to be a famous person or an expert in something. Like these are just life wisdom and advice that you can get from anyone around you. But we're not getting that because we're not having those in-person interactions. And so therefore, I think we seek out those kind of more flippant like one-liners. Um, even though, yeah, we could have gotten that kind of message from somebody close to us. But we we just don't make time for that, which is unfortunate. I would love to challenge people to sort of seek out the wisdom that is around them. I mean, I think that that is very important. Anna asked Cheryl if there was a woman in her life who imparted wisdom to her. Cheryl mentioned her mom, who died of cancer when Cheryl was 22. Anyone who's read my work knows that my mom was such a huge influence on my life and, and still is. And I think that, you know, there are so many ways that she influenced me that it's hard to just encapsulate one. But I would, I would say that the most powerful and important one is her sense of optimism and her sense that, that we are all responsible for finding beauty in our lives even when things are difficult. And she, and she did this in, every, in so many different ways. The one quote in Brave Enough that I did not write is put yourself in the way of beauty. And that is my mom's quote. I, so I'm hoping she's not going to come back from the dead and sue me for plagiarism. <laughs> but, you know, she's, and what that means is, you know, there will always be difficult things in life. And, 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 there's, and the, that, that idea of putting yourself in the way of beauty is, is not to diminish that sorrow and that pain. To say, you have a choice. She would always say, there's always a sunrise and always a sunset. And you get to decide if you want to be there for it. And I didn't even think about the power of that truth until I was on the Pacific Crest Trail and hiking and, and waking up every morning to the most magnificent sunsets or sunrises and going to sleep after the most magnificent sunsets and, and really feeling like the world could never be only sad when there is the presence of that kind of beauty. Cheryl recently edited Best American Travel Writing 2018 that'll be out this fall. And in writing the introduction, she remembered that though as a kid she didn't travel a lot because they were poor, she, her siblings, and her mom would drive from Minnesota to Alabama. My mom would always say, Cheryl, there's something beautiful in every state. And I was thinking about this when I was writing the introduction because I thought, that's true. And, 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 you know, she meant it literally in every state of the union. But when you think about that in a larger sense, there's something beautiful in every state. There, there is some beauty in every aspect of life. And my mother instilled that, that truth in me, and, and it lives in me all the time. And it has been a saving grace to me time and time again. We'll hear more from Cheryl and Anna after this. This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Escape Campervans, an award-winning campervan rental company. When you ride with Escape, you ride in style. Every Escape campervan is hand-painted by artists in L.A., and each one is a little different. It's like a big mobile art gallery. 
it was a kind of rainbow spray painted kind of looks like you're going in warp speed type thing. Yeah, and so I'm guessing how it got its name, Hyperspace. My van's name was Moray because he was covered in sea creatures. It was kind of like an ocean-themed mural with a shark and an octopus and a giant eel. It kind of provided the opportunity to chat to people, for someone to come up to me and comment on my van. It allowed me to ask them a bit about where they were from. It was really nice. Right now, you can get 20% off your next camper van road trip by using promo code SHEEXPLORES20 at checkout. Visit www.escapecampervans.com slash SHEEXPLORES. That's escapecampervans.com slash SHEEXPLORES to learn more. This episode of SHEEXPLORES is brought to you by Deuter. Deuter? That's how it's pronounced? Yeah, Deuter, named after the founder Hans Deuter. They've been making technical hiking, backpacking, snow sport, bike, and travel packs, German-engineered since 1898 for comfort, fit, and ventilation. Deuter. Deuter. I feel you. One of the hardest parts of hosting a podcast is making sure I pronounce names correctly. And even if it's intimidating sometimes, it doesn't make it scary. Kind of like hiking and backpacking, it's always worth it. The Deuter team even taught me how to say, let's hit the trail in German. We would just say, Pachmas. And that's actually kind of Bavarian. Pachmas. Yep. (laughs) The direct translation for Pachmas is just, let's go. Let's do it. I like that. Pachmas. Nice German, Gail. I'm impressed. Stay equipped for a life of adventure with a durable, comfortably crafted Deuter pack. Find your perfect fit at Deuter.com. That's D-E-U-T-E-R.com. We're back. Here's Anna talking about Cheryl. For her, I think the the sort of ideas behind beauty and kindness, that those are two things that are very important to her and her work. Um, And they're two things that I think often culturally we think of beauty and kindness as being these sort of naive things. Like, you know, if you're focused on beauty, we sort of think, oh, well, yeah, just I just want to see pretty things in my everyday life. Or, you know, if we think of being nice to people, it just, I don't know, it just feels sort of naive. And yet both of those things, like to seek out beauty in the everyday, to seek out beauty in the darkness, to be kind always, I mean, those can be really radical acts. And I think that for me, I think that sometimes the most revolutionary wisdom is sometimes the most basic. Cheryl had some thoughts on why kindness and similar attributes are sometimes seen as weaknesses. That idea of kindness being seen as a weakness, I think that the same is true as optimism, that seeking of beauty, vulnerability, you know, that that's seen as weakness. And all of these things, you know, for me, it's it, this is really, you know, the consequence of living in a patriarchy. It's really the consequence of living in a society and really all the societies around the globe are this way to varying degrees. That This idea that, you know, all, all of what we associate with strength and winning and victory is, is a very masculine, um, sort of these very masculine ideals of dominance and being tough and not showing your emotions and not considering others, taking what you want and getting it. And, 
you know, I think that there's, you know, obviously there's so much great stuff happening right now um, when it comes to our consciousness about sexual violence and the sorts of things that women have experienced in every setting from the home to workplace and relationships when it comes to sexual abuse and sexual sexual harassment. But I, you know, I really have always advocated, I mean, I think so many, I'm not alone in this, many feminists have always said, you know, this is, this kind of thinking, you know, pervades every aspect of our lives. And it doesn't just hurt women, it hurts men too. And I, I do think that we're, you know, we are changes afoot. The, the thing I have always taught my two kids, a boy and a girl, is that the only thing I really care about them being when they grow up is kind. It's not about being a doctor, a lawyer, you know, having money, whatever it is. Kindness is, is, I think, our greatest strength. And all of the good things that have happened in my life are connected to that value of kindness and generosity and being open and, and, and brave in the direction of vulnerability. I have thought about that a lot just as a person who nature is really important to me, but I don't always have, I'm not going on big, huge adventures, quote unquote, all the time. Right. Um, but I try to like make nature a part of my everyday life. So even if that's just like looking at a tree or finding a, I don't know, just being aware of when the seasons change and all of that stuff, like those sort of quote unquote, small spaces of beauty, um, and I brought that up with her because I thought it's so interesting that we think of, especially for outdoors, we think of these like epic, epic stunning landscapes and epic sunsets and jaw-dropping views, you know? But it's like the beauty is in the everyday. And if you don't make a space for that, you're then what, only going to have room for that for the two weeks that you got vacation that year? <laughs> That's pretty sad. <laughs> On that note... Anna mentioned to Cheryl how that kind of appreciation of nature and smaller trips into the outdoors aren't highlighted as often in outdoorsy towns like Telluride. You said here we are in Telluride. You know, there are all these like serious like climbers and, you know, all this stuff. It's been an actually very fascinating experience for me as the author of Wild um, because I'm invited to these kind of like outdoorsy kind of things and and sometimes I show up and I and I wonder if people look at me and I'm like not what they expect you know I look more kind of feminine and I mean I look like I look like I am I'm a 49 year old mom um and and you know I am also a wilderness you know avid wilderness athlete and to me you know my relationship with the wilderness as I wrote about in wild you know it's just about getting out there and doing it and the wilderness belongs to all of us it doesn't belong to the people who already know everything that there is to know about backpacking gear. It belongs to whoever decides they want to take a walk. And I think that that's, you know, one of the most meaningful things that I've done as a writer is to really give a lot of people permission to go into the wilderness. People who thought they needed permission from all those kind of elitist, um, you know, snotty wilderness dudes and, and some women too who think that they own it because they're really good at it. And I've never been of that mind. It goes back to that original thing that I was saying about the guru. You know, you don't have to be the expert to do something. Yeah. But I believe we live in an expert culture. We do. I, I will say, you know, one of the things I wrote about in Wild is I did become a backpacking expert by the end. I actually know a lot about backpacking. 
you know, I just don't necessarily look like it, but that doesn't mean I, that I, it, it, and when I say I don't look like it, I mean, as I think we all walk around in our heads with the, this, this ideal in our head of like, who is an investment banker and who is an athlete and who is a, you know, fill in the blank. You know, it almost, it, it really almost always, we have a very narrow view of who gets to do what. All of this then intersects with racism and sexism and classism and fill in the, all of those isms, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, this is why for so long, male professional athletes who are gay would not come out, right? Because we see, oh, that's a gay man is a weak man, right? And then what if he's actually like the best football player and, you know, or the best basketball player? And so I think that's been a really powerful thing to have, you know, athletes on that level come out. And it was like this big deal. And meanwhile, the rest of society, I'm like, well, what do you mean that's a big deal? But it was a big deal within those those cultures and, and within those contexts. And, you know, I think that that's so much of what's happening right now. There is so much conversation about who gets to be what and why and how. And this has to do with disrupting the patriarchy. I know I sound like an old radical feminist. I am an old radical feminist. <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be 50 in September, which I think maybe it's too young to say I get to, I get to be like a feminist crone now, but you know, I'm 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 excited about that. I'm excited about that that moving into that deeper, you know, talk about wisdom, like moving into that next age where you do care a little less about some of those things that consume you in your youth, you know, how you look or if people think you're pretty or if people think you're nice, you know, and sort of relinquishing a bit of that and stepping into the self more powerfully. And a big part of getting older is drawing boundaries, when to say yes to things and when to say no. I asked Anna about it in regards to Cheryl. Can you imagine just being that well-known? I think what's interesting about her, too, is that, and something that she said that she said in the interview was that you know, she, she is vulnerable and tells her truth. And in doing so, there are so many people that read that and feel like someone is kind of speaking directly to them or saying a thing that they know is their truth. And it makes them feel not alone. So what that means is like a lot of people's entry point when they read a book is they identify with it so much. And then they feel like Cheryl's such a close connection for them. But it's like, she doesn't know them or... And unfortunately, because as she talks about, she's always just advocated for being open and vulnerable and being kind. And essentially, it's counterintuitive to have to say no to people because that's not that's not who she is. This is what I mean when I say it's been so hard because I've actually had to like to, to do something different than my natural impulse. I love to connect with people. I'm a very welcoming, warm person. And I've had to say, Cheryl, you have to stop. <laughs> like, actually, I've had to be cooler and more removed sometimes. Now, you know, that doesn't, I don't seem like a cool and removed person to most people. But in my own heart, like I know when I'm, you know, stepping back rather than stepping forward. And then I usually would step forward and be like, you know, let's do this and let's do that and let's talk and let me hear your story. And, and I still do that a lot. It's just that I, there are certain, I've had to set limits on it because what I realized at a certain point is that it was devouring me and it was compromising, you know, my, my relationships with the people I do know, you know, that I, like, if you have coffee with everyone who's become your best friend because they read your book, you can't have coffee with anyone who's actually your best friend. And so that sounds 
may be harsh, but it's true. And um, I had to learn how to say, okay, you know, I, I, you know, I, I want to keep having really kind of direct relationships with my fans. I do all my own social media. I really do a lot of stuff myself to a degree that I think a lot of people find surprising. And I like that. That's who I am because I think that that to, to do otherwise would be too counter to, to, to who I am. But I've just had to learn how to say, it's okay to disappoint some people. You know, to say to somebody like, I don't have time to have that coffee with you. And I'm sure you're a wonderful person. And I'm sad I don't get to know you, but I can't get to know everyone. And so that's been, a, you know, for me, to, that's, that's the crux of it, that no, is disappointing others. Because so much of what I think that, when I was a little kid, you know, from the very time I was a little kid, like a lot of us, we figure out, like, why do people love you? Because you give them what they want. And that that's a pretty dysfunctional way of thinking about love. And yet it's kind of deep within a, a lot of us. It's especially deep within a lot of women. And, you know, I've had to really examine that and let that go and, and sit with that sense of like, oh, that person's disappointed in me. Oh, well. And it's hard. But I've, I've gotten better at it. And that's what I mean about aging. It's, you know, it, it, that's to me about saying, well, that's your thing and this is mine. Like you, your reaction to my, my healthy decision is, is to be disappointed. But that's, that's not my problem because I haven't been unfair in giving you my honest response. And I think that, you know, we all struggle a lot with that. Even we don't have to be famous <laughs> to struggle with that. Um, that we only have so many hours in the day, and we only have so much emotional energy to give. We only have so much kind of creative energy to spend. I, you know, we you know we have to like regenerate those things. So we can't be in situations that just deplete us. Like they, ha you know, the relationships are two way streets, right? So if I feel like I'm giving a lot to you. You know, I want to, like, in a good friendship, you know that you get that in return at some point, even if maybe that friendship means that just in that moment, one person's having a hard time, right? But I think that that ability to say no, as she points out, it's like something that she's had to work really hard at. The illusion that we all have often is that we might individually experience some form of imposter syndrome, you know, feeling like we're not good enough or feeling like the work that we produce is terrible. You know, there's, we all kind of experience something similar, but I think what happens is we experience that. And then we look at other people who are successful or, you know, prolific or all those things and think, wow, they really have it nailed. Like they just have it made. It's amazing. I can't believe that I can't be like that. And Cheryl pointed out, and I think it's just such a good reminder. She was like, you know, I like go to my office to write and I have to manage, you know, fear and anxiety. Like she's just like the rest of us. I mean, that's, we all struggle with that. And that's something to remind ourselves of. Like nobody, I think people who produce good work are just people who are able to, well, Cheryl puts it like give fear a seat at the table. It's kind of like, okay, fear, like you're here. I'm acknowledging you, you know, I'm not going to avoid you, but also I'm not going to let you get in the way of the thing that I'm trying to do. And that often if we're fearful of our work or feel intrepidation, but that's usually where the good stuff happens. Like if you coast along and just do the thing that you feel comfortable doing, that often, I mean, that, that work can be fine, but it's often not the, that stuff doesn't normally cause you to dig deep 
or, you know, move beyond what you know doing. Do I hope that people love what I write? Absolutely. While I'm writing, does the tiny, mean, stingy voice in my head say over and over again, you're stupid and everyone's going to hate this? Yes. (laughs) But I don't write for either. I don't write for that mean voice in my head and I don't write for that that imagined audience at the end that says, you're so amazing. I love this. I write, I can only write out of that little sort of voice within me that says, you have to do this, sit down and tell this story and trust that you'll find your way through it. And it's really hard. And I, it never gets easy. People assume it's easier for me now that I've had success. And and I, I would say that that is not true at all. It's, it's writing has never changed for me. It's always basically been hell. <laughs> and it's also always been glory. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard. And then I hit some zone and then it's amazing and it's magic. And I think, wh- why was I so hesitant and why was I agonizing? And then the next day I'll be agonizing again. And I'm like, well, how do I get back to that place where it felt like paradise? And it's just, that's what writing is. It's those, it's always those extremes. And a lot of it is just sitting down and and doing the work and knowing that you're going to feel anxious about it. You're going to feel a lot of fear and doubt and, and that come what may of the work, you just have to do your work. One of Cheryl's anxieties that she has to overcome is living up to the expectations of her readers. Wild and tiny beautiful things have large, devoted audiences that she's really grateful for. She's currently writing her next book, and her loyal readers are waiting for it. It's a lot of pressure. It's hard for me not to be afraid of those people, because here again, this is this big thing I'm talking about, like getting comfortable with disappointing people. Well... I could disappoint people on a grand scale, right, with my next book. All of those people who love my previous books could go buy it, and then they'll all say to each other on Twitter, <laughs> this isn't as good as her other books, or, or I don't like this. You know, the, they're comparing it against something they loved, and that's hard. And yeah, you bet that's hard for me to, to cross that out of my mind. Well, you just, you just can't allow yourself to be. You know, I'm trying to take some of my own advice. What I say, you know, one of my quotes in Tiny Beautiful Things and in Brave Enough is, you know, that you give fear a seat at the table. You say fear, you know, welcome fear. Uh, your presence is an, ind- is an indication to me that I'm doing the work I'm meant to be doing because fear is part of our best work. And so you actually embrace it. You, you know, the, I got this to this place too about doubt and anxiety, this sense of um, you know, when I'm writing, like anxious about not being able to write well and realizing that, that feeling anxious about not being able to write well is one of the indicators that I'm writing well. And it's not the indicator that I should stop. It's not the indicator that I'm doing a bad job. It's an indicator that I'm doing a good job and I should keep going. And all of those negative things, sadly, are part of the process. I wish it weren't. I wish I couldn't, I wish I could say to you like, you know, the ingredients of my writing day are, are joy, excitement, a sense of just, you know, confidence and ease. Like none of those things are a regular part of my writing life. They're occasional visitors. Usually I'm hanging out in my office with fear, doubt, anxiety, and an enormous sense of doom. <laughs> and also paired with this little thought that's thinking, what else can we do besides write? <laughs> 
doesn't something else need to be done? Like, doesn't the, don't the dogs need to be walked or the house need to be cleaned? So, yeah, I'm just like everyone, you know, trying always to negotiate with those, those voices in my head so I can do that work. In wrapping up, Anna wanted to make sure that the following was stressed. I mean, the only thing I would add is I just, and I think this speaks to just how Cheryl is as a person. I mean, when you talk to her, you feel that she is very engaged and present. Like you just, you don't feel like she's distracted. I mean, she just has that kind of personality that she focuses on you and listens to you. So she just has a very special personality in that sense. She's good at speaking truths. She's good at, you know, sharing her human experience, which helps people identify with. So she, she's very talented in all of those ways. That being said, I think having a conversation with her was such a reminder that all of these things are very human, right? We all have the capability to be kind and compassionate towards each other. We all have the capability to find beauty in our everyday lives. We all have the capability to share our experience with someone so that they can help to identify with it. We all can find commonality. It doesn't take a special talented person to do that. Like we all have that inherent ability. And I think that that's what I kept coming back to after that interview was just really thinking about that. If we all did a little bit more of that and didn't just expect that from like a handful of people who do that well, I mean, if we all worked harder at those things, I think we would all be better off. Telling the truth about real life. I think that that's what I've done. Even in the wilderness adventure I've written about, it's like I didn't like hike to the top of Everest or I'm not like the, the world champion and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I love those people, don't get me wrong, and I'm in awe of those people. But I love, here again, this sense of, like, everything I've always had to say about, like, venturing into the wilderness or grieving the loss of somebody you love or, uh, you know, setting your life back on course after it's gone off course. Like, all of these things are, they're, they're in the attainable category. And, and I think that so often, especially when people are suffering, they feel alone and I think that that's what so much of my work has offered people that sense of not being alone I've told the truth about my life and then what happened is they felt like I told the truth about theirs and that's really the magic gift that I was given I mean that's everything I want to do as a writer that's the mission of art is to make us feel less alone You can see the women's wisdom paper cut that Anna made of Cheryl on our episode landing page via she-explorers.com. I won't tell you what quote she chose. I'll let that be a surprise. Thank you to both Cheryl Strayed and Anna Bronis for connecting with each other at Mountain Film and Anna for chatting with me after the fact. Cheryl, if you're listening, you're welcome back on this show anytime. Anna, thank you so much for trusting me with this conversation. Both your friendship and your commitment to creativity have meant a lot to me this year. You can learn more about Cheryl via her website, CherylStrayed.com, or follow along with her at CherylStrayed on social media. You can learn more about Anna via her website, AnnaBronis.com. That's Bronis, B-R-O-N-E-S. And follow along at AnnaBronis on social media. 
All links will be listed in our show notes and on the episode landing page. Thank you to our sponsors, Deuter and Escape Camper Vans. Get 20% off a camper van rental by heading to escapecampervans.com slash sheexplorers. That's sheexplorers with no space. Or by using the code sheexplorers20 at checkout. It's basically 20% off a road trip. If you enjoy She Explorers, you'll probably enjoy our sister podcast, Women on the Road. Last week's episode features all kind of advice for living on the road from the last 10 interviewees. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you like this episode, please consider reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to help show your support. Another great way is to share it on your Instagram stories or on Twitter. And make sure to tag us so we see it. It always makes my day. Keep up with us in our She Explores podcast Facebook group. There we talk about gear that we use and trips that we're going to take. It's a great way to connect with other listeners. Music is by Lee Rosevere and Kay Engel via the Free Music Archive. Music is also by Liam McNally and Our Many Stars. Until next week, have fun out there. <laughs>